Let's cut to the chase in simple terms. The problem in most of our lives isn't that we don't know enough. The problem in most of our lives is not that we don't know enough. In basic terms, for most of us, it's that we don't do enough with what we already know. The problem in most of our lives isn't that we don't know enough, it's that we're not doing enough with what we already know. Now listen, relax, type A evangelical freakazoid legalists like me, I understand you're doing a lot. I understand that you work hard. I get that. Let me qualify what I'm saying in this sense. Our problem isn't a lack of knowledge. Our problem is a lack of courage. Many of us, sometimes myself included, are enslaved to a false god of safety and security that doesn't actually exist, that doesn't actually deliver, that isn't actually attainable, that keeps us from enjoying the adventure of following God by faith. Many of us are enslaved to a false god of safety and security and knowing enough before we'll say yes to what God has for us. It's a false god of safety and security and knowledge that keeps us from saying yes in the very simple and basic ways God calls us to say yes. The problem isn't lack of knowledge. The problem is not lack of information. The problem for most of us, the reason why the work of God is not so clearly evident that those around you look at you and they say, God is in that person. The reason that doesn't happen often is a lack of courage. Now just think about this with me for a second. This is a bit of a silly example, but I think it fits. <laughs> I was thinking about this, was reminded about this phenomenon just this week during VBS. I submit to you that most children, most kids are more courageous than most adults. I saw this just this week at VBS in a very simple way. Our MC for v VBS uh, was Jeff Ward, stood up here, got up on stage, asked for some volunteers, and I kid you not, before they had any idea what he was actually asking for, dozens of hands go straight up ready for action. If I'm going to stand here and say, hey, I need some volunteers, before you have any idea what I'm asking of you, not a one of you is going to raise your hand. Are we preaching yet? <laughs> Kids are more courageous than adults. They don't even have to know what they're signing. Pick me, I'll do it. I want to play. I, I just want to be a part of it. Kids jump in with their whole hearts because they have a sense that God knows what they don't and they trust Him to make up the difference. This is why Jesus says to have faith like a child. That's how you enter the kingdom. Kids are inherently familiar with the idea of an authority who knows what they don't. They have courageous hearts who are willing to say yes before they even know the answer to the question, before they know for what they're volunteering, before they know the direction. David was like that. King David had a courageous faith, a wholehearted devotion to God that explained the answer to the question we're going to ask about him today. It explained his incredible 
rags to riches life that, uh, that, was, that was marked by an intimate relationship with God, being used by God in incredible ways. If you've been with us for the last few weeks of this series, you know that David's life was a pretty remarkable story. It was an incredible rags-to-riches adventure of faith with God. Just listen to 2 Samuel 7. This is a, a great uh, section of Scripture here, but we're just going to pick a couple verses here. 2 Samuel 7. This is God's promise to David. He said, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. Next slide. That you should be people over my Prince over my people of Israel. There we go. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. I will make for you. Who's the one doing the action here? Who's the one doing the trusting here? I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. David accepted God's promise. He said yes without even knowing like we always have to. Let's preach for a second here, adults. He said yes before he knew all the details before he had this internal sense of safety and security that was required, before he would say yes to God. You can take it down. (laughs) So here's our question today. Why did God use David to do so many extraordinary things? And why did God use David to do so many extraordinary things, despite the fact that David was so obviously a sinner? We talked about last week. Deceit, adultery, murder, and then cover up for all of that. And yet, and yet God used him in incredible, powerful ways. Was he just lucky? Was he especially skilled or handsome or likable? Was he more spiritual than everybody else? I submit to you that the basic answer, it's an easy answer. It's a childlike answer. The answer as to why God used David is because David simply said, yes, God. I will, before he knew all the details, before he had gathered up as much information as possible. Conventional wisdom for us adults, you make no decision, you go no direction until you know everything possible. I submit that doesn't exist. There are limits to human wisdom. And if we don't know those limits to our human wisdom, we will keep the next step of faith for us in God at arm's length. And now we're preaching. Because this is true for all of us. This is a struggle. We'll see in the life of David that before he knew all the details, before he knew any information, before he was sure, before he had enough security, before all the human things were safe, and he was assured of some sort of like good return on the investment, David said yes. Listen to these two verses. We'll look at them more closely here in just a second, but listen, listen to them first. Acts 13, Acts 13, verses 21 and 22. It says, Then they asked for a king. We'll tell you a little bit more about the context in just a second. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Now jump back in here at verse 21. 
And to follow along, we'll give you a little bit of context here. This is Paul preaching. This is Paul preaching in Antioch. Paul preaching. Luke is writing this. It happens in the book of Acts, which is all about the Acts of the Apostles. Paul is one of these apostles, and he's preaching in the synagogue on the Lord's uh, day there at Sabbath in the synagogue. So for the close-up study here, look at what Paul says. This is his sermon in verse 21. He says, Then they, the pre-Jesus people of God, the Israelites, then they asked for a king. By the way, that was after God had already told them, don't ask for a king. It's a bad idea. It will not work. And yet they continued to beg. So he went ahead and did that. Keep reading. They asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. Again, like God warned, that didn't work well. So verse 22, and when he had removed him, when God had removed King Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom God had testified and said, he meaning God, God testified and said, this is the important part, God talking here, we're going to focus on this, this last part of this now from here on out. I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Now note a few things here that help us understand what's going on here in this important part of verse 22. It says this, I have found... I know it's tempting to keep going. Let's see what he has found. We'll get there in a second. But this phrase I have found is is helpful for us, even by itself. God has found David. This is a telling phrase. Paul is using here language of God finding David on purpose. You see in the Old Testament, when King Saul began denying that God was the true source of his power and blessing, when King Saul began to believe his own hype, God began to search for a new man who would be king. A new man who was worthy to be king. So, so Paul, because remember, even though Acts was written by Paul, Paul's preaching, and Paul has this great uh, knowledge of the Old Testament. He was raised to be a rabbi. Paul is the one preaching here, and because he knows so much about the Old Testament, as he's preaching, he grabs up a couple things from the Old Testament. He grabs up this concept from the Old Testament in two places especially that we'll look at in just a second, of God seeking after David. 1 Samuel 13, 14, we'll put it up here for you, says, this is the prophet Samuel saying this to Saul on behalf of God, now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Incidentally here, of course, this is obviously where Paul gets the phrase after God's own heart that we'll look at later. But then look also in, in a Psalm 89, 89.20. We'll put this up here for you. This entire psalm celebrates David as king, as a part of a forerunner of Jesus' coming. This whole psalm celebrates David as king. And in Psalm 89.20 it says, I have found David. So back to our main passage, Acts 13.22. When it says, I have found in David... Paul and Luke here are reminding us that God searches for the right kind of person to do his work. There's a passage in Revelation that talks about Jesus walking through the churches, looking for those who are ready to be lights. That's what it's like here. Paul is saying God searches for the right kind of person to do his work. So what was it about David? What was so special about him. We'll get there in a second, but, 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 but listen, don't dismiss this simple point first. It's a statement about something in David 
that God saw that He was looking for. God was searching for something that is often missed. Something that human eyes don't see unless they're trained by God to look for them. Remember, there are limits to human wisdom. Remember in our first week, the prophet Samuel was sent by God to anoint the next king after Saul. And he went to go do that. And Jesse's sons, they went through all of them, didn't know David was still off as a shepherd. He wasn't there. And, and Samuel missed it. He was searching for the right man, but he missed what God was actually looking for. First Samuel 16, 7, we'll put this on screen, says this, The Lord sees, not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. There was something special about David. The Lord was seeking, seeking something special about David's heart that answers our question as to why God used him so powerfully. So look again at Acts 13:22. It says, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Two things about this phrase, after my own heart, after my heart here. First, the way that Paul uses this word after uh, sounds a little weird in English. Um, th- this word used here for after uh, basically just means like. He doesn't necessarily only mean that David is, is, is seeking after God's heart, though it obviously fits that. That's a, that's a good way to say it. This word used here for after just means like. So David's heart is like God's heart, which means that David's heart is further along in the process of the trajectory of seeking after God's own heart. You could just say, I seek after God's heart. But if you've not said yes to him in any way, then your trajectory hasn't meant a faithful heart that is like God's. Are we tracking? This isn't just saying David had a trajectory of going after God's heart. It was, it was a way of saying David had the trajectory of going after God's heart again and again and again, and again, and again. So that the trajectory meant that David's heart was by the time he sought him to take care of the kingdom, like God's heart. If you're not saying yes to what God's got for you, your trajectory is just in here. That's not what we're talking about. So what does this word heart mean? Let's cover that for a second here before we keep moving on. God has found in David a man whose heart is like his own heart. So what does heart mean? For us, the heart is a physical organ, obviously. But we also understand it metaphorically uh, to mean the center of us. Our mind, our will, and uh, our emotions. We get this understanding largely because that's how the Jews understood it. For the Jews, the, the, the heart was the deepest, most central, most fundamental part of any person. It was considered the sort of center of a person, the, the stuff that made a person a person. Mind, will, and emotions, thoughts, feelings, desires, volition, all that was centered in the heart. In fact, some of the Hebrew root comes from the word center, perhaps. We know that they thought, uh, thought that about this word heart because of how they used it. We put together this cool little chart here about all of the uses of the word heart in the Old Testament. And, and so just look at how this is used. Only 29 of the times, only 3.4%, is it used as a physical organ 
or in figurative terms. The rest of it is all this emotions, thoughts, uh, volition, desires. All that kind of stuff is used in a pretty well-balanced kind of way here. You can see there, 257 times, it means personality, inner life, character, 30% of the time. 166 times it's used for almost 20% of the time, emotions and feelings, uh, thoughts, intellectual uh, kind of thoughts, 24% of the time at 204 uses, and will, volition, and purpose, 195 uses, almost 23% of the time there. So when Paul is preaching about David's having a heart like God. He is saying at its most basic, at its most fundamental level, who David was as a person, in his heart, he was like God. So this is the New Testament. <laughs> is that the same as the Old Testament? Bear in mind, the New Testament did not yet exist. So Paul, trained to be a rabbi, preaching in front of those who don't yet follow Jesus, but yet who knew Jewish history, grabs up this idea of the heart and uses it like he would in the Jewish terminology. So this New Testament usage, because we're here in Acts, is very similar to the Old Testament usage. So when Paul is preaching about David having a heart like God, he is saying at the most basic level, at the most fundamental level. David was like God on the inside in a way that meant that what happened on the outside was like God. So what does it mean to say that in practical terms? What does it mean to say that David was a man after God's own heart? Here's where we are so far. We know that God was searching for a man who was like him at the most basic and fundamental level. And he found his man in David. But what does it mean to say that David was a man after God's own heart? Look again at Acts, 30, uh, Acts 13, 22. Last phrase there. It explains in simple terms what it means practically. I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, after my heart, who will do all my will. David's called a man after God's heart. David's called a man after God's heart because his greatest desire was to do what God wanted. Let that sink in. That says something fantastic about who David was. David's greatest desire. Run through your head. What are your greatest desires? David's greatest desire was to do what God wanted. So the answer to the question, why did God bless David, is, is, is really easy. No matter the question, the decision, or the direction, David said yes to God time and time again, one little yes at a time. David, will you take care of my sheep? Yes. David, will you fight Goliath? Yes. David, will you honor Saul as a way to honor me? Yes. David, will you even bring your sin into the light so that I can heal it? Yes. David, will you do whatever I ask, go wherever I ask, and be whoever I ask? Yes. 
David said yes to God, one little yes at a time. Most of us don't operate that way, do we? We wait to see as exactly as possible. In fact, we wait to see more exactly than humanly possible what God wants from us before we answer. We wait to see how how hard or how awkward or how costly it's going to be before we say yes. Most of the time we're after what we want, what we think is important, what we value, what's right in the moment. And, and, And we're after the things that will make my plans, my social status, and my reputation go further faster. Most of the time our response to God in simple steps of faith is not just yes, it's Yes, but. The difference between David and us is that David said yes, he was committed, he was all in, he didn't have to know what he couldn't know before he stepped out in faith. He was all in with his whole heart. So the the next step for you is whatever it is that God has for you right now that you know he's asking you to do that you're keeping at arm's length because you need more information. You're waiting for more of a sense of security before you go ahead. You you, you have the sense that I'm not mature or prepared or ready or fit or blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Maybe maybe for you it's it's a temptation where he's asking you to say no. Uh, Maybe it's a person he's asking you to love or to forgive. Maybe your step of faith, your little yes, is just having a hard conversation you know that you've been avoiding. Uh, Maybe it's a dream he's asking you to believe. A group he's asking you to influence for good. A volunteer role he's asked you to step into. A leadership challenge he's asked you to meet. Say yes to God because you believe that he has something great in store for you. In other words, say yes to God because you believe, just like David, he's going to use you in ways that communicate the gospel. Waiting till you're ready is a sure way to ensure, it's a sure way to keep. God's mission for you at arm's length. Years down the road, you'll wonder, man, what's it like to live by faith? One little yes at a time. Instead of waiting to know enough or feel secure enough before you say yes, say yes and let the knowledge and the security come as God leads. That's what it looks like to live by faith. then you will experience the adventure of following God by faith. One little yes at a time. Let's pray, friends.